Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Balls Over the Top podcast. Second episode of the year, and we're stoked about it. I'm your host, Michael Rock. And I'm Brendan Collins, and we've got another great episode coming at you here today. Yeah, we have a ton of stuff to get into, so I say we just jump right into it. I mean, big, big week of sports news, big week of global news. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. So we are going to jump right into things as we tend to, with world football. And really, you know, the Premier League this week, it was mostly cup action. I mm-hmm. mean, we saw the Carabao Cup wrapping up. That went over, that went, I believe the semifinals just happened. Mm-hmm. And then the FA Cup, we had a lot of exciting matchups. But really, I don't know, I felt they mostly went the way we would have expected. You know, yes. I mean... Man City won their matchup. Chelsea won their matchup. Yeah, United won their matchup, Tottenham won their matchup, Arsenal won their matchup. I mean, pretty much everywhere that we saw Premier League sides facing off against underling clubs, the Premier League sides came out on top, but it wasn't entirely across the board. No, there's an exception to this rule. Yeah, we did see, now I will say we did see a couple of draws. I know Everton drew, but ended up, you know, emerging victorious. I know Brighton Hoven Albion drew, but ended up coming out in penalties. That was a crazy one. Brighton scored in the 88th and then conceded in the 96th before stoppage time. But really, the one that was the biggest punch in the gut, at least for me, because I lost a lot of money betting on them, was Leeds. Leeds United just laid an absolute egg. Yes. To, I believe, second division. Not even, not even, you know, not championship. Not English League 1, but I believe English League 2 side Crawley. I could be wrong on that. They, I know Chelsea was playing a, a Division 2 side, actually, a bit, a, you know, side you're repping the shirt of as we speak. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, really, I don't think there's any space, any room, any excuse whatsoever for a Premier League side to be losing in the third round of the FA Cup unless they're fixed against one another. I mean... Even a, a Premier League versus Championship side, you should see the Prem side come through most of the time. I mean, I know we saw Brentford make a little bit of a you know Cinderella run in the Carabao Cup just now, but really, there's no excuse. No. There's no excuse given the payroll difference, given the talent difference, given the coaching difference. I mean, Colleytown is a is a second English side, so they are in the the fourth tier of English football, and yeah, they they took it to Leeds. Leeds getting no offense going whatsoever. Their defense was very bad. Kiko Casillas, their Spanish goalkeeper that Leeds has, has been pretty disappointing. I mean, at least two of those goals were easily savable, and the third was a a deflection rebound. That one you kind of excused, but that was the last one that was let in. It's It's hard to imagine Kiko Casillas was once a Barcelona player. Originally, yeah, that's that's really incredible to think about. But then I again, mean, Spanish goalkeepers sometimes a little suspect. Yeah, I mean, other than Igor Casillas, really, we haven't seen consistency at that top level. Something that was worth also noting, you know, I know we just glossed over it. The Carabao Cup, the semifinals did end with Tottenham getting a two-nil victory over Brentford. 
you know, that was a little bit of a bummer because we did see Brentford getting a red card in that game. I mean, granted, it was a late red card, but you would have liked to have seen Brentford finish the match at full strength and maybe net one. They had a really fantastic run there in the EFL Cup, the Carabao there. And then we did see in the Manchester Derby, Manchester City getting the 2-0 victory. United, I believe, crashing out of their third consecutive semifinal between the FA Cup, the Champions League last year, and then now this, this now, the EFL Cup, the Carabao. So that should be an interesting showdown, Tottenham versus City for the final of that. But otherwise, the top teams in England, they tend to be rolling. We'll see if they continue to as the next match day approaches. And England and all the sports world, it seems like right now, really has got to get their COVID situation under wraps. But I tell you, we're going to move out of England. And I say we move on over to Germany. And, and I know there were a lot of great games this past weekend in the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. but I want to know which one caught your eye. Man, I got to tell you, Dortmund's victory this weekend over Red Bull Leipzig, especially considering the first half ended nil-nil. Getting the 3-1 result at the end of that game and seeing the players come alive is impressive. It was, it was refreshing to see. Yeah, I mean, and it's against a top side. You know, Leipzig has been on fire. I mean, they had an opportunity to potentially swing their way up into first place with a victory, especially considering we saw... Bayern Munich drop points in a loss to Mönchengladbach, mm-hmm. it's really, really an opportunity lost yeah. for Leipzig there. But obviously, we're both going to be happy with it. I mean, I know you're the big Dortmund guy here. I'm more of a Dortmund fan by proxy, which is going to make the next thing I'm about to say a little controversial because my favorite result of this weekend in the Bundesliga was finally seeing the boys at the bottom of the table shake that monkey off their back. Schalke managed a 4-0 victory. Where were all those goals the last year and a half? America. Right? They end up getting the 4-0 victory. They end up ending their winless streak at 32 matches. And I tell you, you know, I'm not saying this just to be, you know, hyperbolic here but like I really feel like they might be able to build something with this you know I mean I'm not saying make any form of a run but string together enough results to maybe work your way out of the relegation zone that seems possible I mean this was against if I'm not mistaken wasn't it against was it against Hoffenheim or Wolfsburg? Hoffenheim. It's Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim's been a solid club. I mean, they, they put up really good results against Bayern. I mean, when they play the big boys, mm-hmm. they come to play. Yeah. They're no slouch. A matter of fact, this would not have been the match that I would have had circled saying, oh, here's where Schalke finally gets over the hump. No. You know? You'd think it would come against a team like Armenia. Exactly. Team uh, that... Another another cellar dweller. Mm-hmm. And yet they not only showed up, but they dominated. Yeah. I mean, it was a dominant, oh, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, dominant performance out of Schalke, which we just, uh, they, they are few and far between at this point. I mean, far from the days, the reason I do have affinity toward them, for those of you at home, which 
I hope is everybody during this pandemic. I actually, they were the first big European club I ever got to see play live. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was back in the days they actually had, they had Manuel Neuer still, they had Clash on Huntelar, they had Raul, they had Julian Draxler. I mean, really some impressive They had talent. Naldo at that time? I believe they did, yes. I believe yeah. the center back Naldo was also on the team. I mean, that was a really good they had a lot, yeah, a lot of fun players to watch, uh, and I'm sure there are guys I'm forgetting. Yeah, but, I you mean, know. And, and they've had talent trickle through. I mean, they had Draxler, they had Like I say, yeah, he Andre was there when I, saw, when I saw them. I mean, yeah. really electrifying players to watch, and, and it, to see how far they've fallen is really sad. And, again, given that nostalgia that I have for them as really being one of the clubs that opened my eyes to the beauty of this sport, because really there's a total difference between seeing it in person and seeing it on TV. Very much so. I am disappointed to see them struggling as they've been, so that was my favorite game this past weekend in the Bundesliga. Well, we can move on because we got plenty of Serie A news to talk about. Match day 17 rolled around, and we saw top teams continue to try and stay up top. Yes, we did, and a lot of them had some good success. I mean, not really going to dive into them, but, you know, Napoli had a solid result with us. Actually, a late winner from Bakayoko, mm-hmm. you know, the old Chelsea outcast. So it was good to see him get scored 90th minute game, 90th minute game winner in that one. Impressive. But, you know, Juventus continues to get good results. Yeah, they beat a 10-man Sassuolo. Yeah, which, you know, isn't that hard, but... They got the job done. They did it. Lazio got a 2-1 to victory over Udinese, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there were lots of good results for those big European clubs, but there were two matches that really caught my eye. Yeah. And they were both matches featuring the twin Milan clubs. Now, the first one was really the match of the week, the, mar- the marquee matchup of this weekend's Serie A lineup, and... That was that Roma versus Inter match. I mean, wow, what a match. It was back and forth. It was up and down. You had world-class attacking out of world-class players. Antonio Conte had his men really clicking out there, it seemed, at some points. But they could not seal the deal over this relentless Roma side. Mm -hmm. I mean, your boy HK continues to be in incredible form. Yes, an absolute factor in that in that center-forward role that he drops into. I don't know if he always starts on the team sheet there, but that's where he winds up. And Lukaku has had a great has had a great run. I mean, really a great run. Yeah, so is Latoro Martinez. It, it, both these sides have been very good in the attack this year. And, yeah. and Hakimi, again, also played well, but... Yeah, I, I mean, and, and it went back and forth. Like you said, I mean, Pellegrini got Roma out in the lead early, and then... Milan scores, you know, down 1-0 at half, scores two quick goals in the first 15 minutes of the second half, or just about the first 15 minutes, including a beauty from Milan Skriniar. Oh, yes. And Hakimi then, you know, gives them the lead. Yeah. And I thought for sure they were going to hold it, but they just let it slip at the end. Mancini gets Roma the equalizer in the 86th, and that's the way it finished. The two teams split the points. A little bit of a blow for Inter, uh, who were trying... Well, actually, really, for both clubs, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole table is close right now. Yeah, especially but in that top Inter six. right now, you know, was really hoping to be able to... I mean, with the win here, they would have kept pace. They would have still remained just one point behind Milan. AC Milan, now, of course, it falls to a full game. 
But yeah, I mean, Roma's right there with him. Roma's in third, and they keep that second place still within striking distance at 34 points. So, you know, it's unfamiliar grounds seeing Juventus all the way back in fourth place. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll sit there long. Probably not. We tend to see a, a, you know... We don't see Cristiano Ronaldo with many bronze medals. People tend, they tend to return to the mean, which is almost a perfect segue, because it seems like what is happening over in La Liga. Yes. Over in Spain. Yes. Tell you, we saw some of the big boys in action, right? Most of them. Yeah, what was going on there? Well, we saw Barcelona finally come back into form, taking the absolute hammer to Granada and smashing them for nothing. Yeah, you know, this is, again, hopefully it's a statement win. You know what I mean? Hopefully it's something that they build off of. It's foundational, starting the new year off right, because this Barcelona team's been all over the map. But what's crazy about that result is we see that pulls them all the way up into third place in the table. I mean, we were sounding the alarms. We were, our jaws were hitting the floor over the fact that it felt like they were in 13th. They were in 11th. They were in 9th. They were in 12th. You know what I mean? Just, it seemed week in, week out, they were just hovering, stuck, stagnant in that middle of the table. Well, suddenly they seem like they're right back where they belong, back in that big three with the two Madrid squads. But I tell you, it was a bad week for those Madrid squads. I don't think either one of them is too happy about with how this weekend went. No, Real Madrid dropping points with the draw this weekend against a Osasuna team that's absolutely in the basement. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we saw Osasuna get a big result against Barcelona a few weeks ago. Uh, it just seems like those guys had one thing on their mind coming into this season, and that was, we want to play the against the, the big boys. Exactly. Who cares about the rest of the results? Yeah, we uh, Stay in the league? Who cares? Listen, I'm going to shoot my shot, all right? I'm getting a shot at Messi. I'm taking it. All, all we want is to get one point out of three different teams. Exactly. Finish with three points. We'll be happy. But... You know, unbelievable that Real drops the points in this scenario. We know that this has been shaping up, you know, with the early lead that they managed as a chase that's going to come to Atletico trying to fend those two off and the other two trying to claw back and catch them. It's crazy to see Real Madrid dropping points to a basement dweller like Osasuna. Like, it's just, it's unfathomable. I you know I would have put the house on them at getting getting the victory and yet mm-hmm. it wasn't even that convincing of a draw they just look uninspired yeah you know what I mean there was little creativity they had a few chances here and there but nothing concrete no and I would be disappointed absolutely and the other Madrid team well didn't play it's better than a loss exactly they had their match postponed really at the last minute kind of came out really about as late as you could have announced it Mm -hmm. due to COVID-19 protocols this match could not be played due to contact tracing and and everything involved going there which hey good on them I'd rather see these teams nipping it in the bud and taking care of it but it's crazy that this is getting so late I mean we're seeing it across all sports We'll get to it later. We'll have more to, you know, COVID is unfortunately wrapping itself in 
virtually every episode that we've ever recorded. But right, you know, it's crazy that they have not figured out a better way. But it's good to see at least the systems that they have working to some extent. Hopefully, this match can be played later on, and as a result, Atletico still stays at the top of the table. They don't get to even sweat it at all as Real does their job for them, gives them a sigh of relief. The last thing we want to talk about in world football before we hop over the pond is we have had quite a few moves. Yeah, transfer transfer window. Transfer window's open. January cracks open that window, and we see some deals flying through. Yeah. You know, there hasn't been any really earth-shattering transfers. No, there's nobody... Nobody from the World Eleven has been on the move. But we have had a co- some talent moving around, as we always do this time of year. Mm-hmm. A couple of quick names for mention. Sebastian Hollier, or Holler from West Ham goes to Ajax. Joffrey Kondogbia goes from Valencia to Atletico Madrid, which is crazy that they're bolstering an already top-of-the-table team. Mm-hmm. And we saw Takafusa Kubo, who is the young Japanese phenom, not cracking enough first-team time at Real Madrid. He's going to try and get some play time at Getafe. And this last one, it's significant because maybe he's at least maybe the player with the most stature that's that's moved this window, but also my personal favorite, big fan of mine. Not, he's not a big fan of mine. I wish he was a big fan of mine. You're a big fan I'm a big of fan of his. Rajanan Golan, Reggie Nance, the bald man. Kind of resembles a skinhead, but, yeah, you know. But, well, he's got a mohawk. Oh, now. Yes. Now he does. Now he does. But really, an all-around phenomenal midfielder. Uh, yeah, probably play. the best box-to-box. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is he can be playing as your defensive holding midfielder. You can even have him up there at cam, at central attack mid, and he will still get the job done. It's crazy that he wasn't getting that much play time or really that much opportunities at Inter Milan, you know, he kind of got overshadowed by an already pretty impressive midfield. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it kind of came down to either Arturo Vidal or Raja, and Vidal has kind of established established himself as the lead horse there. Mm-hmm. But we look forward to seeing what Raja can do. I mean, he had a huge season last year for Cagliari, you know, was really one of the best midfielders in the league. And he will look to find that form again in the latter half of this season. There was some uh, transactional news with a couple of your favorite players as well. Absolutely. The oldest player playing professional soccer, Kazuyoshi Mura, 53 years old. He's played football over four decades. An impressive career, and guess what? He's running it back one more time. He just signed a new one-year deal with Yokohama FC. Just can't get enough. He, he's he's an extremely impressive player. He's won Japanese Best Footballer. He's won several cups. He's been an impressive talent, and it's it's exciting to see him run it back one more time. Because why not? Well, at that point too, you know, the age becomes part of the feat, even if the you know, the contributions on the pitch are not overwhelming. It's like when we saw Ichiro stepping up to the plate or Jamie Moyer on the mound or, I mean, we see it all over the place. Even it, it kind of makes me, ugh, 
respect Tom Brady a little bit. You know, just the things that these guys are able to do at the advanced age. I mean, it's an achievement. It's an accomplishment in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in better shape as middle-aged men than I am in my prime, so to speak. So, got to take your hat off to that. We also, to wrap up our world transfer news, and kind of a nice little segue here to our American soccer, we saw Philadelphia Union product and player Mark McKenzie mm-hmm. on the move last week He's going over to Gank for $6 million, yes. which is a impressive number. I mean, considering we got eight for Aronson, obviously I don't know the details if there's any sell-on fees or kickbacks or anything like that, but it's impressive the Union has had the two biggest transfers out of the MLS this season, both coming from our development, both coming from our coaching. The academy system. Academy system. It's really a testament to the work that is being put in on the right levels, at least here in Philadelphia. For sure. So moving over to the MLS over here stateside, we have a few pieces of news here, a couple of quick tidbits here in the offseason. First of all, Inter-Miami parting ways with Diego Alonso after only one year. I I will say it was a bit of a disappointing debut. I mean, considering the talent, considering Uh the caliber of players they brought in and the big money and the Beckham factor and you know what I mean? Uh It was just pretty surprising to see them perform so underwhelmingly. I mean, especially with the Higuain brothers, with Blaise Matuidi, they had one of the highest payrolls in the MLS right off the bat, and they didn't really do much. They just kind of went out with a whimper. Reportedly, nothing confirmed, but it does look like Phil Neville might be one of their next coaching candidates. Could be impressive. He's had some success really all over the map. and As a player? Yeah. It hasn't had any real role as a manager besides his work in, in women's football in England. But he is really recognized as one of the most renowned coaches in the women's game, and the work he did even with England over the last few competitions has been a steady improvement over where they had been in the past. I mean, really, the English women haven't been as dominant as, you know, you see a lot of the U.S. women, the Brazilian women, and then even some of the Asian women. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so this could be a really big step for him, obviously, especially if his aspirations are to jump over to the men's side of the game, at least managerially. Well, and his relationship with David Beckham is, is an open secret so we can we can move on because we have a little bit of transfer rumor news. Very surprisingly, Mesut Ozil is being linked with DC United. Do you think that's a good fit? You know, I'm not too sold on the fit for not the talent or on the pitch reasons. I mean, Mesut Ozil is an impeccable talent. I know he's fallen out of favor in England. Uh-huh. It's been a rough few years for him, especially through the end of Arsene Wenger and then you know, coming into the Mikel Arteta years, he never hasn't really ever found his groove. I mean, really, ever since he left Spain and Real Madrid, uh-huh. he's seemed almost like a fish out of water. But if they can get the deal done, I think it would be great for the sport, and I think he would be class on grass. I mean, he would immediately become one of, if not the most dangerous players with the ball at his feet uh-huh. in the MLS Let alone being the best player on D.C. United. Exactly, but I'm more concerned about the financial aspects. I mean, the MLS has apparently been hemorrhaging money. They were trying to renegotiate back out and renegotiate the CBA to try and, you know, 
accommodate for these losses, deal with all these things. And you're talking about bringing in a player who's in the top three highest paid in the entire Premier League. We're not talking pennies. We're not talking dollars. We're talking millions. You know what I mean? And you just don't, it doesn't seem to make sense to me for a mid-level kind of middle of the pack or if not bottom of the pack right now dc united team to be pulling that money out of who knows where they're getting it from i mean they play in a dumpy stadium they put you know it's like uh-huh. where are they getting the money to pay for what would likely become the highest or second highest paid player in the mls oh for sure i just don't see it from that point but if they could get him anywhere i'm not limiting him to dc we get messed over here in the states Again, you're adding legitimacy and top-tier talent to this already growing and impressive league. Speaking of just overall the reputation of the MLS being raised. Increasing the legitimacy. We saw a corporate corporate partnership. There it is. Announced this past week between SC Dallas and Bayern Munich where six FC Dallas players are actually training with Bayern in Germany. I'm sure that'll help tremendously with their development and, again, helps establish legitimacy of this league. And the re- it's huge. I mean, yeah, it, it'll no, allow, it, it allows just another pipeline, another connection, another opportunity for more MLS-developed players to find their way onto the global center stage absolutely i mean one of the players included in that group of six is ricardo pepe only 17 years old extremely impressive he scored i think seven goals and 14 appearances with the uh, men's under 17 squad and he's one of 25 players who was born in 2003 who already has a transfer value of about a million dollars it's uh, it's impressive to see the talent coming up and also getting recognized by a a team like Bayern Munich. I mean, a Champions League winner several times over, Bundesliga Titan. It's impressive to see. Absolutely. And our last segment here in the MLS, we saw another big name come over here. Not necessarily a name that we recognize, not necessarily a name that jumps out at you if you're a big FIFA player or somebody who kind of follows the World Cup, but LAFC made a move to sign South Korean defender. He can play central or out wide. Kim Moon-Hwan, who is currently, he's 25 years old. He's really in the prime of his career. He gets capped almost every time there's a national team game. I mean, he's a, he's a first team national team player for South Korea. And again, while it doesn't seem, it's not the headliner name, it's not the Mesut Ozil that we were you know, rumoring just a moment ago, but it is legitimate global talent choosing the MLS in the prime of their career, too. We're not seeing a guy over the hill or somebody who's looking for youth development, but in the prime of their career, choosing the U.S., choosing the MLS over maybe the Mexican League, maybe the Scottish League, maybe the Portuguese League, you Mm -hmm. know, some of these other mid-tier leagues that... Just a few years ago, the MLS wouldn't have even been in the conversation. Yeah, it wouldn't have been considered, but and now it's it's becoming an attractive destination. I mean, living in the States is an attractive offer for people who don't read news, and it's, it's, it, it's important for the MLS to survive by 
bringing in outside talent and, and fostering the highest level of competition possible. Exactly, and that's not just bringing in young prospects or bringing in players for retirement tours. It's now, as we're seeing, some players choosing the MLS for their prime years. And that's going to be something exciting to look forward to, not only this year, but beyond. But we are going to move on over to the National Basketball Association. Really one of the only sports on this list. I mean, we have football and soccer, but that's really in the full swing of things. Mm-hmm. Especially here stateside. Yeah, I mean, really, it dominates the ESPN headlines. Right now, the NBA is where it's at. And as they are trying to get themselves into the swing of things, they are already running into problem after problem, it yes. seems. The COVID outbreak has hit the NBA hard with really four teams most impacted. First off, the Miami Heat. Yeah, eight players sidelined by the protocol. They've now had to have two different games postponed or changed around. I mean, really, it's crazy. The Celtics, we're seeing them impacted as well. You know, they actually, their exposure coming from their matchup against Miami just a couple days ago. And it hit us right here at home in Philly as five Philadelphia 76ers players have been sidelined with it, including Seth Curry, who was the first one, really the originator here, at least the first test we knew of. Mm. Tested positive, finding out in the first quarter while on the bench against the Nets. Unbelievable to me that they are not giving these players and getting the results before the game starts. How yeah. is it How is it that for the COVID test that's supposed to test if you're good to play this game, you're finding out already sitting with your teammates on the bench and having done warm-ups and shoot-arounds and, you know, he could have been already checked in at that point, sweating on other people. Mm-hmm. It's astonishing to me. What is the point of the same day or before game testing, if you're not going to wait for the results to play the game, to play the game, yeah, no, it, it seems that this story is particularly interesting because it seems like the system's failure was on display immediately as it failed. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Like, I even would have gotten if he went out for pregame warmups and then he went back into the locker room before the, you know, introductions, even though I don't even know if they're doing that, you know, to yeah. the extent without the... I know they did opening night. I watched that. They hit the bell and everything, you know, they got all excited, but mm. I don't know if they're doing that every night. Yeah, I don't know if they're doing fans. all the fan service stuff without stadiums being filled up. And so it's just, it's mind-boggling to me that a player could find out during the game that they've tested positive. Again... Props, I guess, to the NBA for at least taking action, having the tests and taking action and then pulling him out of the game and it not being of, well, we found out after the fact he had COVID. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At least at least they did it. But it is just staggering. It's unbelievable, really. And also Dallas Mavericks also impacted with four positive tests on their roster, and they're also looking to reschedule their games. Yeah, I mean, I, I even know... The Pelicans had to lose a game. I mean, not only are these teams losing games because of their COVID outbreaks, but then their opponents are having to deal with just standing around. I mean, we saw that in the Premier League as well. It's crazy that there's not a system in place. I mean, I get it trying to then charter teams to the same location to get a play, you know, a gameplay or whatever. It would be absolutely ludicrous, but... 
you know, it might not be what the players want to hear, but does this beg the question if it was if it's a smart idea to bubble back up? I mean, if you're bubbled up, one, you don't even have to worry about the outbreaks in the first place. But then two, God forbid there is an outbreak, you would still have the capability of just having all the teams right there. Okay, fine, then you two quarantine, you two can play each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's it would provide a lot of opportunities and flexibility for the league to deal with this in a more fluid manner because currently what they're doing, at least through the first two and a half weeks of the season, it ain't working. No, the cracks are already there. Speaking of cracks, LaMelo Ball really hit it out of the park this week. He is the youngest player ever to record a triple-double. Yeah, he ended up with 22 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists against the Atlanta Hawks the other night. Surpassing, you know whose record he broke for the youngest ever triple-double? It is Philadelphia all-time legend Markel Fultz, who, I don't know if you remember, during his like terrible lone season where he actually played for us, we put him in in garbage time after we already clinched playoffs. And it was with that, like, J.J. Reddick squad. And mm. he put up a triple-double. That makes sense. And everybody, like, jumped around. It was like it was like when a player hits a walk-off in baseball. Like, they did, like, the whole rally, like, at the end of the game. And everybody, like, I mean, he got, like, a Rudy being carried off the court type moment. Yeah. Which was good for him because I'm sure his morale has just been yeah. a mess. So, and doesn't seem like it is getting much better. Unfortunately, Markel Fultz went down with a torn ACL this week a non-contact play really ugly sad to watch I mean I know we're like we're busting on him but you know wanted to maybe see him get his career back on the right track and yet he seems like he was doing okay in Orlando in the role that he was in being somehow both the starter but very much just a role player in that team yeah and then we saw another a couple of other injuries worth noting in addition to Markel. Washington center Thomas Bryant went down, also with a torn ACL, also non-contact. You know, he's not a household name, but he was a starter getting starter minutes. And also, a little bit bigger of a name, Bogdan Bogdanovich, the swing guard forward who's really established in the name for himself over a pretty solid career so far was hoping to make a big impact on this young, exciting Atlanta Hawks team next to Trey Young, fractured his kneecap Oof. in his right knee. Looks like he's going to be missing a, a good portion of the season, if not all of it. couple of other quick basketball notes before we move on. Patty Mills is looking to establish an indigenous basketball league. In Australia. Exactly. Aiming to target, again, a lot of the indigenous populations there, introduce them to the sport, develop a league. It seems exciting, seems like a good thing to do. Yeah. You know, drawing attention and benefits to indigenous people is always a cause we can get behind. And Growing the sport as a whole. Growing the sport, exactly. Bringing the sport to new places is also an admirable cause. So we wish Patty Mills... Nothing but the best yes. here at Balls Over the Top Podcast. And we'll, we're excited to see what comes out of the Indigenous League and, and the players and the, the the type of talent that they'll produce. Exactly. 
The very last note, really quick before we jump to the NHL, we saw the Sixers fine 25000 for an administrative loophole. It looked like they were trying to cover up a Ben Simmons injury as soon as they had to list him for COVID protocols, they just uh, s- slapped him on the injury report for that, trying to avoid putting his previous injury on there. It's a little bit crazy. I mean, he ended up having to sit out the game tonight mm-hmm. as a result of this injury, but because it was not disclosed on our injury report over the weekend, Sixers fined for not adequately warning of his absence yeah uh we you know adam silver said he was going to be laying down the hammer as far as teams resting some of their all-stars well we are seeing it here hammer laid down it is crazy considering the sixers were forced to play this past weekend against denver with only six healthy players following their COVID outbreak. I apologize, I misspoke. Seven total. Seven players dressed for that game. And that was it. They had no backups. They had no reserves. Not a single starter was healthy, other than I believe Danny Green was on the floor. And it, you know, Joel Embiid brought up a big discrepancy between, for example, how the Miami Heat have been treated with kid gloves and had games rescheduled and accommodated for their virus outbreaks, and yet the Sixers were left out to dry. Mm-hmm. There was one bright spot, though. Tyrese Maxey looks really good, and he went off for 39 points. Impressive against a very good temper side. Exactly. Tyrese Maxey putting the NBA on notice. Absolutely. Another Kentucky guard playing well. Well, we are going to slip and slide on over to some of the winter sports and talk about the National Hockey League, which we are excited to mention restarts again. In just two days. In just two days, exactly. This upcoming Wednesday, we see the NHL come back in style with a couple of big matchups, including a Flyers versus Penguin matchup that really is going to get us right in the mood for things. Oh, I'm so excited. But we have some other hockey news to talk about first most notably the united states winning the world juniors this past week upsetting canada and really just a a phenomenal phenomenal tournament for the u.s a big upset in the finals there and got to be happy with it the future of american hockey looking bright yes and canada and finland coming away with that silver and bronze respectively and also, we saw Trevor Zagros, Don Cousins, and Anton Lundell as the leading scorers, also from USA, Canada, and Finland, respectively. And then in the fourth, fifth, and sixth place, we saw all German players. So it's impressive to see the German side playing so well in this Yeah, tournament. starting to show up for the ice hockey. Speaking of somebody who will not be showing up for a lot of the ice hockey this year. Thank God. Mike Milbury is out after 14 seasons as a color commentator on NBC and TSN and Versus even before it was NBC Sports Network. Really has a long history in the sports broadcasting industry. A little bit shocked, personally, to see him leaving especially, well, I shouldn't say especially in this manner. He's always been a little bit of a lightning rod for controversy. Yeah. And this is nothing short. He is forced out after abruptly having to take a leave of absence during last year's playoffs in the bubble after making a comment that was viewed as 
sexist or insensitive to women. Yeah. Now, saying that playing in the bubble offers the bonus of not having women there to distract them. Yeah, which, you know, I think in the moment, even when I first heard it, it didn't really raise my eyebrows that much. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess I, when I you... I also just don't listen when Mike Milbury talks. Well, that's true, too. But, you know, when you dig into it, considering the amount of women that are now respected in the sport and in, well, I guess you can call it an industry at that point with how big mm -hmm. of a machine these professional sports leagues are, there are women all over the place in, on the training staffs, in the administrative positions, in a lot of the media and production aspects of it, whether it be reporters or, or things like that. I mean, you name it. I understand why some people were upset about it. Oh, yeah. Don't necessarily think it's a fireable offense per se or, or was worth terminating him for, but you could look at Mike Milbury's actions, behaviors, and even body of work and have a laundry yeah. list of reasons worth terminating him. So Yeah, I mean, it wasn't his first offense. I mean, in addition to beating a fan with a shoe and destroying the Islanders franchise, he also has made comments in the past with uh, a, a game coming uh, – and not not a game that was played well and commentating its likeness to a, a women's college game. He's made insensitive and jerkish comments in the past, and him moving on is is not a surprise. What is kind of a surprise is Mike Babcock being brought on for studio coverage in his stead. Babcock also comes with his own baggage, his, some of his mental abuse against some of his players as a coach. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who definitely doesn't have the cleanest of slates. And, you know, obviously you got to respect what he did from the bench, what he his career accolades. Yeah, but Stanley Cup champion winner with Detroit. I think there's something weird about this desire to try and force NHL coaches into becoming color commentators. I think, you know, other than... What, Bill Cower on CBS? I don't know if I can think of that. And Jimmy Johnson mm -hmm. on Fox. I can't think of that many head coaches that have the charisma, charisma or personality that would make them entertaining and like you'd want to see them on TV. I yeah. mean, you know, think about it. Imagine Andy Reid as a commentator. It would be the most boring thing of all time. Right. You know, it would, other than the heavy breathing, yeah. there would be... <sighs> oh, it's a good... Good pass. Uh, oh, I forgot to meet my mic while I was eating the cheeseburger. But you look at it, and these, you know, this is a, a sport full of aggression. Uh -huh. It's a sport where these guys need to be motivating. They need to be elevating their players to a higher level. And I don't know if that type of mindset, attitude, and persona translates well to being an on-camera personality. Uh -huh for broadcasting and we have seen it be successful i'm not trying you know john yeah. madden maybe john madden. maybe one of the greatest john gruden. yeah john gruden was good at it you know but i'm almost thinking we see a lot more players that take over that end up having that role you know michael strahan is an unbelievable television host yeah. and anchor Tony you know Gonzalez. even even you know you look brian at the whole boucher, list even brian just... boucher is great or even jeremy roenick as much as he can be a prick at times mm. he's good rick tockett you know what I mean? You look down the list, and these are guys where they bring just as much knowledge to the game, mm -hmm. but at this point, they've, you know, because they had so much time dealing with fans, because they've had, 
it just seems almost like those guys have less of a, or, or maybe it's just they're not the ones controlling other people, so they don't have that mm-hmm. kind of pressure and anger behind them. But, yeah. like, overall, I don't get force. It, the Mike Babcock hire seems like a force to yeah, me. It, it seems like they're trying to fill a coaching guy, you know, a, oh, a yeah. legendary coach in with a legendary, even though, yeah, and even, though Milbury, even though Mike Milbury was far from a legendary coach. Yeah, no, you he know. was a coach. There were a couple of other news points, though, to talk about with the actual stuff that's going to be taking place, you know, on the ice. First of all, Gary Bettman pretty much has said that he thinks the NHL is set to lose billions because of this shortened season. And while that doesn't sound like it's on the ice, obviously the salary cap for the teams is based around how much money the teams are all making. So we could see this end up being the first regression in the NHL salary cap as opposed to increase. So it would be something to keep an eye on. You know, most of these teams sign these big long-term contracts under the expectation that that cap is just going to continue to creep upwards. It taking a step back could result in some really, really fascinating roster decisions out of a lot of these general managers. And we did see a couple of little tiny rule changes here or there, but there was yeah. one that really stuck out. Yeah, and it's the concept now that they're introducing of the taxi squad. It's going to consist of about six players and act as kind of like a reserve-type team in addition to the 23-man roster. Yeah, and this makes a lot of sense, you know, considering the COVID protocols that they have in place where, you know, whenever a player travels or if somebody does something independent, they will need to quarantine on their way back in. We could see some real shorthanded teams if there's any injuries piling up. And if they had to rely on American Hockey League players or players from their, you know, feeder clubs, which we did say, you know, a lot of those teams were actually able to suit up this year, which is great. Mm-hmm. But those players would still have to quarantine and isolate before they could join the squad. Mm -hmm. And so this gets rid of that. You have your maybe your six most prime guys. They almost serve as a practice squad. And yet because they would be operating essentially within the bubble that the team operates, they would be able to fill in at a moment's notice, which is huge, especially with players maybe needing to sit out because of COVID, because of even if they have a contact event with somebody who had COVID. Mm-hmm. There's a laundry list of reasons that this is a good idea. And I really commend Gary Bettman and the NHL, you know, rules, Committee. governors, committees for making this happen and giving an option so we're not seeing something embarrassing like when the Sixers could only only had seven healthy men the other night and were forced to play. Right. The only sad news that does come with this taxi squad is that all of the NHL teams are required to carry the, a, th- a third goalkeeper on there who will also serve as the emergency goalkeeper. So, you know, the stories like David Ayers who came on. Yeah, the and- equipment manager who came on and got the win for the Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. We're, it, it pretty much takes away the opportunity for something yeah. spectacular like that to happen. But it's still... If, if that's is, the price you have to pay to ensure that you're getting competitive hockey for each game. Especially so during the pandemic. And even then, while that was a great story, in the age of legal sports betting, in the age of, honestly, it just being the NHL and the amount of money that rides on all of these results, playoff teams, non-playoff teams... 
it's pretty astronomical that an equipment manager would be the deciding factor potentially between a win and a loss for an NHL team. So yeah. it is good. As, as, sad as, it is, as sad as it is to see the potential for those kind of spectacular stories to happen, it's good to have a, this level of professionalism established. Yes, and speaking of goalkeepers, one last bit of NHL news. Multi-Stanley multi Cup winner Corey Crawford retiring from the sport. He's been around for so long, an excellent goalkeeper for the Blackhawks, one of the highest save percentages in their history, and it's a long one as an original six team. It'll be sad to see him go, but that's the way the NHL is. They'll just have to find another new goaltender, and the rebuild in Chicago will just have to continue. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a punch in the gut for a team that's now without Jonathan Taves. They're losing their really a franchise foundational piece in their goalie. Seems like all they really have from those cup years is Patrick Kane, who should have been a flyer all along. Yeah. But we are going to move on here. We got a couple little oddball things to mention. I say little oddball things to mention as if it's a small deal, but considering it doesn't usually fit into one of our categories, college football usually ends up here. But we have the national championship game being played literally as we speak. A matter of fact, it actually just wrapped up. Yep, just went full time. Alabama takes the national championship with a really just pulling away in the second half. I mean, the game was pretty close. The first half, at one point, we looked. It was one possession game when we when we had it on, and wow, it just unraveled quickly. Neither one of us are big college football savants. No, really. I mean, we we follow it usually to know about what's going on for the NFL draft. Yeah, and, because and we're looking at because our, of dynasty, our dynasty, league. dynasty league. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I'll usually watch anything if I could throw some money on it, but. It was an exciting one, obviously, with all the hurdles that we had this year during COVID. It's crazy we even got here. I mean, out of all of the sports, college football seemed the most likely to just fold at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just all over the map. Even the fact that Ohio State made it here. I mean, even I think if you include the playoff games, this was their eighth game of the season. I mean, astronomical. Just, again, an achievement for the all of the college football and FBS and for for pulling it off. And really, I think we got to give props to the master. Nick Saban Mm -hmm. does it again, puts another one under his belt. Really up there with Red Bryant, at least especially in Alabama history, but possibly in all of college football history as maybe the best who've ever done it. No offense to Dabo and what Clemson has done over the last few years. But the dynasty and the machine that Nick Saban has built in Alabama is unmatched. And until we have other teams making the playoffs year in, year out, doesn't matter which quarterback they're throwing behind center, doesn't matter what their offensive line is, doesn't matter which Heisman finalist running back they're going to have or or whomever – they just wide do receiver, it this year. Whatever. Yeah, this year there's the wide receiver. They had Derrick Henry before. They had like they just constant. It is a factory there, and you got to take your hat off to Nick Saban. Yes, congrats on another championship. But we got a couple things in the golf world to talk about. First of all, Justin Thomas, who's really, I mean, 
top of his game right now, one of yeah. the top golfers in the world. He's been winning most things, especially in this crop of young and exciting golfers. Justin Thomas might be the most exciting one. Yeah, he's probably the most well-rounded in his game. Well, I'll tell you something that he needs to fix up. It's that potty mouth of his because Justin Thomas uttered a anti-gay slur. It seemed like it was a moment of anger and just totally slipping up, but... Mm -hmm. After he missed a five-foot putt, he came went on to say it was totally unacceptable that he's an adult. There's no room for that kind of language. Yeah, he has no room for thinking that. Which, which, I agree. It's also though. I also kind of get where he's coming from. Again, yeah. not get where he's coming from with gay slurs. Don't agree with that. But, but I've, you know, I've said some horrendous stuff after missing a putt. Well, not only that, the very word even that he got in trouble saying. I used to mutter all the time through like being 16 and it wasn't until somebody sat me down and was like, dude, you can't say that. And I was like, what? And they're like, that's a swear word. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, that's a slur. And I was like, what? Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I just heard it, you know, don't want to point the finger. I don't want to, don't want to validate all of those moms out there, but you know, I heard it all the time in online video games and in those Call of Duty chat rooms, and it just became a yeah. natural thing to yell out once you got killed or once something bad happened. And so I don't condone it, obviously don't support it, and that's even been a behavior that I worked for a long time to – a word I, I made sure I took out of my vocabulary, mm -hmm. you know. So I understand the even the backlash. I mean, it was what type of thing, though. He didn't even know anybody caught it. I mean, it was very quiet to himself, and yet yeah. those state-of-the-art microphones and with no crowds or anything like that, they could yeah. hear a pin drop. And so, so, you know, the PGA said they would look into it, and he would likely get the typical just uh, acting out, essentially yeah. typical behavioral-type yeah. fine. Unconductive to a professional. Yeah, it was unprofessional, exactly. Yeah, uh, and... Uh, that's warranted, and I think he'll he'll gladly take that and, yeah. and, you know, almost take this opportunity as a platform to try and reverse e ease tension yeah. and reverse, you know, reverse some of that national tension that's been boiling over. And that almost seems like a perfect segue. Yes. Because after the national tension that boiled over to really perhaps the ugliest, one of the ugliest days in our nation's history. Yeah, it's probably the worst Worst time since the War of 1812. As we saw, insurrectionists inspired by the President of the United States overrun the security at the Capitol building while there was an active vote in session to confirm Joe Biden as the victor. I mean, it was terrifying. I don't think really our platform is the place where we would elaborate for the news if you hadn't heard about this you should by all means do your research i don't know what rock you were living under but or honestly stay under it because it's not getting better but yeah no and this was a this was a national tragedy that played out before it us. was it was terrifying it was shocking and it will go down and live in infamy yes that's for sure and it also left five people dead it did, including a police officer who was beaten to death with a fire hydrant, fire extinguisher, rather. And that's just terrifying. Yeah, it's grotesque. That sentence alone just sent chills through my body. And we hope that we never have to see it, our children, nor our children's children, yeah. would ever have to see something else like this happen in our democracy. And needless to say, the ripple effects 
and the shockwave has been felt everywhere. I mean, from entertainment, news. I mean, that was the top story on ESPN that day. No matter what you were looking for, that was the number one headline for you to click on. And it still hasn't stopped. We are still seeing the reverberations to this day. It even just coming out just over the weekend that the PGA has decided to move any and all PGA events, most notably, I believe it was or tour events yes. that are hosted at any Trump golf clubs. Yes. Any any golf clubs with the name Trump in them will not have the opportunity yeah. to host any PGA sanctioned events at the very least in 2020, but it might be moving forward. And yeah. you, you have to wonder if the 2022 that was uh, PGA open that was going to be hosted at one of his fields is not going to be played there. Exactly. And so this is huge. I mean, those are some of the most luxurious, expensive golf courses mm-hmm. in the country. And the fact that not only they won't have the pedigree of the PGA playing there, but it could also I am possibly be in fa- impacting their day-to-day, you know, customer influx. And yeah. you wonder if they're going to possibly look into changing names. You wonder if that's even possible. I mean, there's so many things that go up in the air after what just happened, and it's turning pretty much every sport on its head, which, you know, we also saw it elsewhere. We didn't, we didn't mention it exactly because we figured we would talk about this whole event all at once. But Kyrie Irving, one of the biggest stars in the NBA and really one of the centerpieces of that revitalized Brooklyn Nets team along with Kevin Durant, are has refused to play. He yeah. has been boycotting ever since the events, which, you know, there were, there were things with boycotts for the George Floyd murder that took place and the protests for police brutality. And I know Kyrie Irving was one of the big voices behind that, even though he was injured. I remember him telling people mm-hmm. he wouldn't play, he doesn't think they should play. And so I have nothing but respect for Kyrie Irving continuing to try and use his platform to make his voice heard and, and to try and bring attention to things he feels are unjust or, or need attention. However, I really question if this is the right way to do it and I don't mean to do that to be one of those people Is pointing that, a finger yeah. at a successful person of color who's, who is trying to use their platform to point out discrepancies. You know, I don't want to sit there and say, oh, this is the wrong way to do it. Yeah. But when the rest of your team is still going out night in, night out, and I only, I only chuckled there because I've lost some money on the Nets recently. Like, I know they haven't been getting the results. Nope. With Kyrie on the bench, or I don't even know if he's been on the bench, you know, Mm -hmm. air quotes, on the bench. And so as a leader, as somebody who is looked up to in the locker room, as somebody who is looked up to in the league, you almost wonder if his message is being lost by the fact that everybody else is still playing, and so everybody else is still getting their basketball. Like, the impact of you not playing is if everybody doesn't play, then none of us get our basketball, and you brought the attention to the issue. But while everybody else is getting their basketball, yeah. unless you're a Nets fan or you were really following this issue, you might not have even known that's why Kyrie Irving's been out of the lineup. Yeah. And it's kind of diluting his point while also harming his team, and specifically his team, not the whole league. I mean, yes, I'm sure the whole league is being harmed from a lack of Kyrie. He puts... He, he brings viewers. Yeah. He brings viewers in, but 
overall, the, the people paying the brunt of that price are the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, it's his teammates. So I, I commend any and everybody, you know, trying to bring attention to this. Obviously, as we mentioned, this was a horrifying ordeal. And I think there are so many different things that can be taken away from it from a even racial policing standpoint, from a right versus left standpoint, from a censorship standpoint, from a, I mean, you name it. Yes. But hopefully we can all agree we never have to see something like this happen again. No. But we are going to segue away from that and take a look here at Major League Baseball. Yeah. We're going to come off the top with a little bit of sad news we were talking about in past weeks. Tommy Lasorda passes away at age 93. Obviously, one of the greatest managers in baseball's history. Yeah, a local guy from the Philadelphia area. Yeah, from Norristown, I think? Yeah, I believe so. And really, just a legend of the game, a giant of the game, and leaves massive shoes to be filled, even, even though he wasn't f- filling a official capacity of late his presence was still all over the place especially mm-hmm. all over that Dodgers team just getting their first world series in a in a long time and always a shame to see somebody go but he lived a long life he lived a good life mm-hmm. and definitely left his mark yes well well is forever etched in part of baseball but elsewhere we saw a couple of big moves. Again, not the big moves. I mean, everybody's waiting for those giant dominoes to fall in free agency, but we saw a couple of moves, most notably a blockbuster from the New York Mets. Yeah, Steve Cohen starts throwing his money around, and then Mets bring in Francisco Lindor. Exactly. Now, this was a trade, so it wasn't an all-out free agent acquisition, but we imagine he's going to be opening up that checkbook real soon, as Lindor has already announced he's open to signing a long-term extension with the Mets. And really, I mean, he's one of the best short... He's a power-hitting shortstop. I mean, where do you see that? He's one of the best hitters offensively in the game. Uh, he is, he's tiny. He's, like, really short, has a really small strike zone. Pitchers really struggle to get it in against him, and yet he's able to just crank that velocity with his yeah. swing. An incredible player. I'm Great disappointed pop. we didn't bring him into the Phillies. But again, with where we're at with money, we're not touching anybody right now. So exciting for the Mets, bummer for the rest of the NL East, and it makes me a little bit worried about some of the other moves. You know, Cohen and that new Mets management might have up their sleeve. Oh yeah, I mean that Mets team is already much improved. It's definitely become a better landing spot for some of the free agents that are still available. But one person taken off the board, Schwarber. Yeah designated hitter or really just a big bat i mean i guess you could wheel him out somewhere on the field but it's not super effective as a defender kyle schwarber uh rose to prominence with the cubs during their big run signs a one-year deal 10 million dollars with the washington nationals again continuing to bolster this nl east where the nats were just two years removed from that championship it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on and I'll tell you, the other thing we're keeping an eye on, as I mentioned before, is just these big-name free agents. We are at another standstill between owners and players. It seems like the big-money players are holding out for their big-money deals, and it seems like the owners have even more ammunition in their cupboard to not spend it, considering the COVID losses. And we're getting that stalemate. We're getting one of those standoffs. And I'm curious how this is going to go. I mean... 
really, some huge names still haven't haven't gone off the board, and you wonder what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, JT Real Muto here in Philly. We're, we're headlined by JT Real Muto, but he's not even the only Philly that you have eyes on. I mean, Didi Gregorius had a phenomenal season last year, and he's still available. Trevor Bauer looking for work. I mean, he was unreal. He was he was a Cy Young finalist, and still on the market. I mean, George Springer of Houston, DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees, Marcus Stroman, Justin Turner. I mean, the list goes on of not only not just everyday ball players, but guys who make all-star teams, guys who provide WAR wins above replacement, guys who would improve 25 out of 30 lineups in Major League Baseball are looking for work, and yet these owners are keeping their mouths and their wallets shut. And it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on because we just saw Rob Manfred say he expects all the teams to be at spring training on time and prepared and ready for a full 162-game season to start and finish on time. I don't know what kind of crack He's smoking, yeah. considering one COVID outbreak could m- displace two series or more. Yeah, but that's going to be the Manfred experiment. We will have to see. Well, we are going to move on into the main course of tonight's show. And I assure you, this whole thing wasn't an appetizer. But really, we got some meaty stuff to get into in the NFL. We had a crazy super wild card weekend this past week with a record number of games. I mean, I say record. We knew they were adding those games, so it wasn't surprising. But still, adding that extra game just felt like it added all the more excitement, 50% more excitement with those two extra games this weekend. And they did not disappoint. I mean, out of the six games this weekend, they were pretty much all bangers. Every one of them was good. And we got a lot of things to talk about. I mean, we started off with the Bills and the Colts, and that was an unbelievable matchup. That was a great game. You know, I had said all uh, last week, all along, I was expecting the Colts to come out and really fight in that one, and I got to say, they exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I even thought they could win, and I know they didn't, but wow, I think if there was any doubt in Frank Reich's mind about bringing back Phillip Rivers, that should have been answered, and he should be already trying to figure out how to get him back on a one- to two-year deal. Yeah, obviously, you start looking for the replacement. But but you're picking in the latter half of the first round anyway. Yeah. Pick one of the more project quarterbacks, let him sit behind Phil, and run it back next year because Frank Reich and that defense and that and the way they were working and, and Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. and the numbers he put up as a rookie, I mean, they could really make some noise and they've got to be disappointed they crashed out. But the story here has got to be the Bills. Yeah. Sean McDermott just coaching his socks off. Yeah. Josh Allen. has been absolutely electric. Been electric, and they deliver that long-awaited playoff victory for the Buffalo Bills. Another game on Saturday that was a little bit more interesting than we thought it would be was that L.A. Rams versus the Seahawks. And i got to say, you had this one pegged a little bit better than I did. Yeah, and 
you know, it's it's only because I fell back on that old tradition of defense is what gets you and gets you through the playoffs. And that was kind of the story here. I mean, both offenses were very lackluster, but one defense came up and one defense really faltered. I mean, the Seahawks couldn't stop Jared Goff without a thumb after knocking out the starting quarterback with a stinger. Yeah, that one was shocking to me because you would think with an experienced coach like Pete Carroll, and especially with you know Bobby Wagner being the captain and communicator of that Seattle defense, mm-hmm. they would have been able to stop the run. I mean, like you said, Jared Goff was essentially ineffective. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had... There were two big pass plays from that offense. One was a Cooper Cup, like, 50-yard bomb that was lucky as all hell. I honestly think, you know, it was that ball fighting, whatever, and Cooper Cup comes away with it. Great play by the receiver, but there were Mm -hmm. two defenders there, and if either of the defenders is worth a damn, Cooper Cup doesn't make that catch. Yeah, they're making that stop at the very least. And then the other one was a swing pass where I'm sure, you know, if anybody watched the game, they would remember this. This is the one where... P. Carroll challenged that Jared Goff was ahead of the line of scrimmage when he threw it. He wasn't. He was like half a yard behind it. But the pocket broke down. Goff kind of started to tuck it down and run and did like a really almost like one of those improvised. Not. It was a step above a shuffle pass. It was still like a regular pass. But he basically just lateraled it to the running back who then made a bunch of men miss, ran some people over, and 50 yards later, Rams had the ball in the red zone. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and just watching it, it was like, how are you letting them get six and a half yards of carry? Like, how is it How is it first and ten? We know Jared Goff can't throw the ball. And then it's second and three. Like, how yeah. how do you do that? You, yeah. you line everybody up in the box and dare a one-armed Jared Goff to beat you. To chuck it. When, when he was overthrowing guys ugly. Like, like mm-hmm. I mean... Making Carson Wentz look good. Yes. You know, on seven-yard crossing routes, on little dump-off passes, yeah. missing the guy entirely. I mean, yeah. it was astonishing to me. Worse than Cam Newton's accuracy. But in the last game on that first Saturday of football, we got to see the Golden Boy face off against the football team. Washington and Tampa matched up in a game that was, honestly, I was kind of disappointed I wasn't all that excited for it. I thought that Tom Tom Brady and and you know what the Bucks were just gonna run away with it, and yet they didn't. I mean, it ended up being ended up being a, a really close one. And Heineke came in for Washington and played his butt off. I mean, this is a guy who just a few weeks ago was like stacking boxes and studying for his grad exams, had no thoughts of even being in the NFL. And then he gets called upon to come in and play, and not only does he play, but, like... Played quite well. Played incredibly well. I mean, when he dove for that pylon, I was going nuts, and I had no reason to root for Washington. No, but he launched himself, what, four or five feet through He launched... He, no, more than that, they, he left his foot at the four-and-a-half-yard line. That's where he launched. Unbelievable. It was so much fun to watch, and, you know, I, I imagine he's going to be welcome back and really get to compete for that starting job against Kyle Allen next year. But then moving into Sunday, we had another great slate, and it was started off by what I thought was the second-best game of the weekend. Washington, not Washington, we just talked about them, Baltimore versus 
Tennessee. And Lamar Jackson finally got that monkey off his back. I mean, gets that big win. Mm-hmm. A little bit lower of a scoring game than we would have thought. Absolutely. Fi- only 33 total points scored, a 20-13 to 13 final. But we saw Lamar make big plays every time he was called upon. And I got to tell you, the other guy worth keeping an eye on who's, who's no slouch and really came to life over this last half of the season J.K. is Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins. Unbelievable. Immediately after I drop him in fantasy, he just skyrockets in production. But we can move on. We've got the midday game of that Sunday. It was a Bears-New Orleans matchup, and it went pretty much how we thought it was going to go. Yeah, I mean, this game was a lot closer than we thought it was going to be. I mean, just a measly 7-3 to Saints lead at halftime. When you think of a Sean Payton team, when you think of playoff football, you know, and the fact that Alvin Kamara ended up playing when he was originally thought he was going to miss it, I think nobody would have thought that there would have only been 30 points scored here. I would have thought the Saints would have passed 30 points on their own. Yeah, even without Alvin Kamara. Exactly. And, you know, this is a Bears team that I don't think many people expected to do much of anything in the playoffs and not with this first round matchup either yeah it's definitely it was a tough one for them and you know i wonder if it's going to have been enough to have saved matt Nagy's job but we will move on to the finale of the sunday games and wow was it a finale the cleveland browns came out against the pittsburgh steelers and they showed up to play and they ran the ball they ended up up 28 nothing at one point. They in were up the, 14 nothing super early. Well, I was going to say they were up 28 nothing still in the first quarter. Yeah. I mean, it was unreal. I think they were up 14 nothing with nine minutes left still. Yeah. I mean, they went up. They were up two touchdowns within the first 10 game minutes. I mean, you look here, they scored right off the bat. I mean, they scored literally in the first four seconds. There was a fumble recovery in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And, and then it Off just a high snap over Ben Roethlisberger's head, and, and then uh, and then right after that, it just went to you know Jarvis Landy Landry forty yard touchdown pass, Kareem Hunt eleven yard touchdown run, Kareem Hunt eight yard touchdown run. Oh, and by the way, then it was the end of the first quarter. What? What? Yeah, you know no, what I mean. Absolutely, ben Roethlisberger was a mess throwing four count them four interceptions three of which came in the first half. I know it for a fact at least two of them came in the first quarter. Yes. And, I mean, they were just a mess. It was unreal. And, you know, you got to wonder what the future is with Ben Roethlisberger. Is he going to try and run it back one more year? There's a lot of questions about this Steelers team, and it seems like they're kind of answered with short-term Band-Aids. Mm-hmm. And you wonder what that's going to look like, if it's all going to fall apart like a house of cards. But the more exciting story here has got to be Cleveland coming away with the win as the underdogs on the road against a division rival. Against They said, I, I could be wrong here, but it was something like... I think it was the first time that the Browns have beaten Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. It is, because I was going to say, I think his total record against them was something like... 32 1 and 1 or something like you know or 28 1 and 1 or something, something ridiculous something dumb and so oh, and I know his only loss came in Cleveland prior to this so you know 
unbelievable game by Cleveland, especially without their head coach, who was missed it because of COVID. He was sitting at home in his basement. Really exciting for them, and they get to enjoy it yeah. for like another few days. Yes. Until the hammer comes down on them with the gusts of a thousand winds as they will face off against Kansas City this weekend. They have to go to Arrowhead, maybe the toughest place to play, and try and beat Andy Reid coming off a bye week. Good luck. With Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. Yeah, no, that's a tall I still, order. I still don't think Andy Reid has ever lost after a bye week. He might have won. I think he had one loss that last season with the Eagles when he went like 4-12 and or something. Yeah, but But other still. than that, I think he's undefeated. And that includes like even the playoffs. I mean, he got so many first-round buys with the Eagles and always took us to the AFC, or NFC Championship. Matter of fact, I saw the stat this week. If Kansas City wins this game and therefore is playing in the AFC Championship game the following week, he will not only be the only coach in NFL history to have brought a team to three consecutive NFC Championship games, he will also be the only coach in NFL history to have brought a team to three consecutive AFC games. So props to Big Red. Consistency is the name of the game, and he's about as consistent as they come. For sure. Really quickly, we have a couple of other matchups to look forward to before we get into some more of the news points of the football week. Buffalo is going to face Baltimore. That should be a really good game. Two yes. very mobile quarterbacks, the two most mobile quarterbacks in the league. And two solid defenses. And solid defenses. It should be a ton of fun to watch. And in the NFC, we have Green Bay hosting LA. I imagine that's going to be a slaughter. Jared Goff, I imagine, is going to be playing since he played last week. But you hope he can get better for his sake. But LA team going into the cold, eh. Yeah. Not feeling good about facing the number one overall seed in the NFC. And lastly, we wrap it up with a divisional matchup. New Orleans hosting Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The two old men dueling the duel of the fates, the duel of the AARP members. Drew Brees, Tom Brady. It's going to be fun. But yes. we will preview all of those and really dive into them on our weekly football podcast for the playoffs. We have two big pieces of football news that came out today. Yes. The first one involves a coach we really, really, really don't like. Nope, not big fans. Donald Trump was set to give the Medal of Freedom to Bill Belichick. Which is hilarious yes. for a lot of levels. And the best part is Bill Belichick was just like, No. I'm good. No, thanks. You wonder if that would have been the answer had the events of this past week not taking place. I mean, right now, you know, we were talking about slurs earlier. I mean, right now, Trump is as close as you can get to a to a swear word as, as they're coming, it seems like, for at least anybody professionally right now. Mm -hmm. And so I understand the distance from that part, but Bill Belichick didn't mention that as his direct reasons, said, you know, he's not about individual accolades and individual recognition, that all of his achievements come from the teams he's built and therefore, blah, 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 Yeah, he doesn't want to go near a racist bigot. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, a fun, it's a fun thing. It was a fun headline. But we have a not fun headline. No. And this not fun headline is about a coach that we like a lot. Uh, quite a bit. Doug Peterson parting ways with the Philadelphia Eagles coming out today. 
pretty abruptly. Yeah, this is pretty shocking news. I mean, most of the coaches who were let go from their jobs this season happened already, happened on the Bloody Monday. And... Well, and most of them have losing records. I mean, Doug Peterson has a winning record as Philadelphia's head coach. Most of them have not won a Super Bowl ever, let alone in the last three years. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl in the last three years. And so, you know, a guy coming off of three consecutive playoff berths before this season. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I can't imagine there's a ton of NFL coaches who got fired following three consecutive playoff seasons. Again, one of which that included a Super Bowl victory. I think this was premature. I think this wasn't well thought out. And I think this was a rush to judgment by Jeffrey Lurie. I've read countless articles about as many articles as have been written about it since this happened. Mm-hmm. Which happened today. Yeah, but I'm saying I will every headline, ESPN, USA Today, Sports Illustrated, you name it, Just NBC Twitter Sports, feeds. Twitter feeds, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Every beat writer, every kid at home who started up an Eagles blog and wants to become a, aspires to become a anchor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was reading it all, and I got to say, there's not a single good reason that I saw that would have warranted Doug Peterson's firing. I mean, the guy is a winner. The guy is a locker room motivator. The guy, for the most part, is known to get the best out of his players. We'll ignore Carson Wentz's season for that statement. And you have to keep in mind, what has he been playing with? I mean, this is a front office that hasn't drafted a pro bowler in 10 years other than Carson Wentz. This is a training staff that it seems to almost every year lead the league in Games lost due to injury. Yep. And so you wonder, what is Doug supposed to do in that sort of situation? Now, some of the early indicators, some of the early things leaked were that he wanted to have more control. He was tired of people in management like Howie Roseman or Jeffrey Lurie in ownership trying to inflict their will upon him and the football team. And I got to say, I think we may have even seen that coming toward the end of the season. I mean, it seems like there has been a bit of a power struggle developing here. Ever since the winning stopped. Yes. And it wouldn't shock me if Doug Peterson, who received a ton of flack, national, local, you know, Tony Kornheiser said he should be fined a million dollars for having, I don't want to say thrown the game, because throwing is almost synonymous with illegal gambling and and things like that. Yeah. It looked as though the Eagles had no interest in winning that Week 17 matchup against Washington, evident by Doug Peterson's Decision to pull starting quarterback Jalen Hurts for our backup when the game was still within reach. Yes. And I don't know how much of that was Doug, though. Yeah, and I, I sit there and I say, like that seems, call. it doesn't. You know, the head coach never is coaching to lose. That seems like the type of thing where the exact type of commands and influence that mm-hmm. Doug was trying to stave off yeah. in this standoff. I mean, I don't have any sources, I don't have any inside knowledge here no i'm just using my own eyes and my own observation and you know doug peterson looked as disgusted as anybody that sunday mm-hmm. watching the seconds tick off that clock and another loss be added to the l category or you know the the l part of this the season you know mm-hmm. the ledger he looked as disgusted as anybody and he had to be the one on the cross dealing with the media mm-hmm. dealing with his own players yeah saying it was the plan the whole time and it would not shock me if that was a direct call from Jeff Laurie or from Howie Roseman saying, hey, we need the draft pick. Yeah, we're picking sixth this We're year. picking sixth, not ninth. Get it done. Click. 
And so I understand Doug wanting to be running his show because Doug has earned the ability to run his own show. Yes. And if this is what had to happen, then so be it. But I'm disappointed in Jeff Lurie. I'm disappointed in our organization. And I think a guy who brings our city its first championship, I mean, first Super Bowl, first championship in 50 years, deserves to go out on his own merit. Yeah. Not being fired a week after the season because an owner who hasn't had a good vision in a decade wasn't, we weren't seeing eye to eye. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. No, it's, it's foolish. It, it paints the picture here in Philadelphia that we're in full rebuild mode now. And it, do we know who our quarterback is? Does this mean that they want to try and repair the reputation? Is Carson staying now? Like We have no idea what's going on. Uh, and that's what I think is happening. I think Carson Wentz is really staying. I mean, it was crazy. I saw Jeff Lurie in this quote. It was a direct quote in response to this firing. I mean, he was being interviewed about it. And somebody asked him, well, what does this mean for the future of Carson Wentz? And he goes, well, you know, that's not my decision to make. That's going to be our next coach's decision to make. But... And then went on for like literally like seven minutes about how great he thinks Carson Wentz is and how he's elite, like up there and starting to compare him with Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning and Joe Montana and their careers. Yeah, really. I'm not even joking. We could look this up. It's it's laughable. It's asinine. And being like, well, if you compare his first five years of work to other Hall of Fame Five year, first five years of work, he's right on track. And there are so many careers that you could point to an off year and go, whoa. Where was that on the statistics? Why were they like that? But, like, the levels that he went through to jump through hoops, when he started the question off saying, well, it's not my job to choose if Carson Wentz is going to be here, but then gave war and peace as to why Carson Wentz should and deserves to be our quarterback. Yeah. It seems like the writing's on the wall. Yeah. He might have just stolen Dan Orlovsky's journal, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, or Ike Reese. Yeah, or Ike, yeah. Let the Bronco book. Well, that just about wraps up things here at the Balls Over the Top podcast for this week. Yeah, we had a ton of stuff to get into, but thought it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed this one, and we're going to have a lot more this upcoming week as we will really give a deep dive into the next round of the playoffs in our upcoming football preview episode. And then we will be right back into with more cup action and domestic leagues and all the headlines next monday as always we appreciate you guys listening mm-hmm. you can find our socials where they've always been at at b-o-t-t podcast on the twitter and instagram unlike the potus and you can find us anywhere podcasts are found oh yeah apple google spotify stitcher radio.com radio fm other ones that we don't know the name because they're not in english we're everywhere you can get us literally can't avoid us unavoidable thanks for listening guys we'll be back with you next week yeah we'll catch you later cheers have a good one so you want to go like storm a capitol building